the luxury industry makes millions of people dream and spend all throughout the world. Demand and the search for experiences and uniqueness is at an all-time high. Still, while some of their designs might seem futuristic, the sector relies heavily on branding and status, so every move must be very well thought and planned. E-commerce, for example, was slowly adapted, but now is a must-have for most luxury brands, in some cases representing more than 40% of their revenues. The pandemic came to change the industry in many different ways, and at the same time, traditional companies like Gucci are starting to adopt new technologies like blockchain and NFTs and offering virtual clothes inside video games. Often criticized by excess, the sector seems to be adapting much more sustainable practices, leading in several areas. So, while slow the change, the pace seems to be picking up with a lot more happening. Traditional brands are facing new customers with revolutionary ideas for what a luxury brand represents and the role they play in their lives. To understand more in detail what is happening, we are joined today by my good friend Mar Roy. Mar is a senior international marketing expert with a passion for building and developing luxury and premium brands across different industries. She has managed Ballantine's Prestige, Caroline Herrera Beauty, Jean-Paul Gaultier or Hugo Boss amongst others. She's also an Assad Executive Education Director and guest lecturer across different European universities. I'm David Bernardo Santo and I'll be joined today by our student interviewer, Tim Fuder. We hope you enjoy it. So, Mar, welcome. We are so excited to have you here, Tim and I. And uh, Tim, thank you so much for uh, joining me today on, uh, on the podcast as well as our uh, student uh, interviewer. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's it's very exciting to be here talking to to Lisbon, talking to Mexico at the same time. I love this international uh, live conversation. Yeah, different, different, very different time schedule that I have from you there. So let's start uh, from the beginning. Mar, what is luxury for you? Because some people say luxury is uh, expensive. Uh, some people believe it's uh, expensive things. Others believe that uh, it's about exclusivity. What is luxury for you? What's a luxury product? What defines a luxury product or a luxury service? So I think the definition of luxury has changed a lot in the last years. What our parents believed to be or felt something was luxurious is different than what someone who is 18-year-old might believe nowadays is luxury. But if you ask me, what do I think is luxury nowadays? I think luxury is not a one single thing. It's a mix of things. We can talk about inclusivity, and, uh, and, and this is something that I think nowadays is very relevant in this industry. We can talk, obviously, about aspirationality. And for me, something that I think luxury that is transversal across generations is uh, selling a dream and, and being, far, being able to reach that dream. Okay. What about price? Does it price, have to be expensive? I think so. I mean, for me, pricing is a very critical variable uh, of, a, of a luxury uh, brand in the sense that when you think luxury, you're trying to maximize a value. So you create a very like special, charming, engaging storytelling around a brand. And the more unique and the more exciting and the more identifiable that storytelling is to your brand, the more consumers are going to be buying into it because you're going to be 
perceived as, as special. And the more you're going to be able to cross-charge that specialty and uniqueness, which is intangible, through the price. I've I've heard um I've heard some people speaking about and I know this is a little bit controversial but um I've heard some people that for instance say that the true luxury for instance is uh like um it can be just having like the fresh fish on the small cabin uh, of the fisherman in in some island and that exclusive exclusiveness and that uniqueness of experience makes for luxury. Do you agree with yeah. this or? Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I would agree. I mean, that's part of something special, which can be done through an experience, but it can be also transmitted through the through the storytelling. So also one of the things I think the luxury definition has is that it's something extremely subjective. It, it, and because it's extremely linked to emotions, it's not rational. And again, I'm going back to the point of that storytelling. How do you engage with that brand story? How do you perceive the brand? So that is super subjective, how you connect to those elements of, of the brand aura, I would say. So I, I do think that that, is, that that can be understood and perceived as luxury for someone because it's special, it's exclusive, it's unique to you. Ma, the luxury industry has changed a lot due to COVID. And uh, we wanted to ask you what has changed in the recent years in the luxury industry? So there's there's several things that that have changed. Um, obviously, COVID has accelerated changes in many industries, but in the case of of luxury, I think it's been even more important. And I'm actually personally quite glad that there was this external force that forced things to to change because traditionally, the luxury industry has been very reluctant uh, towards the digital world, and I'll tell you why. Because basically, brand luxury brand owners were scared of putting brands that are traditionally known to be exclusively so they were always worried about where their products would be sold so they were control freaks and they are control freaks in terms of distribution in terms of media where does your brand appear who wears your brand so because this has an impact on the what marketing we call the brand equity which actually it's um, there's a there's a funny story i think i don't remember who the rapper was but i remember i think it was burberry Uh, when the first rapper started um, putting like the typical the, Burberry the, the, trench the, the coat, patterns, yeah, the yeah. patterns on videos, they actually tried to sue them. And then they had, uh, and then like with time it changed. And now you have like all the hip hop culture and everything around luxury. But at yeah. the beginning, they were completely freaked out. And if, it's funny because if you listen like to a lot of the early hip hop, you listen a lot about brands like Burberry and Gucci and Crystal, which was the big like uh, the big champagne brand. Oh, champagne! Champagne, yeah. yeah, yeah. So all these things were actually like... on that note, like like being relevant, like what we call cultural relevancy in, in luxury, it's super super important, especially with the, the new upcoming generations. But Gucci used to be, I think, Gucci is, nowadays is like the best in class in many things, but it used to be uh, on the lines of Burberry many years ago. They have partnered with this, I can't remember his name, but he's like the uh, the guy in the Bronx that does the uh, the tailor-made suits for all the rappers. He's partnered like with Jay-Z, with PDD. And he's done a special partnership with, with Gucci very, very recently. I think it was like a couple of years ago. And there's some like branded content about this. I'll, I'll encourage you to go and, and, and look for it because 
you see him talking and how there's a bit of like a gangster feel of yeah. around him. But but Mar, I think I think that's um that's actually something very important that you're saying. The and 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 we'll go back to the question uh, when you talk about cultural relevance. Because I think in terms of brands, uh, that's something that has changed a lot. And I think luxury is probably now getting a little bit more there. Before, there was not as much cultural relevance. It was a lot yeah. about being strict. Uh, luxury yeah. was a lot about being like the company. Uh, you look at uh, Louis Vuitton, for instance, they wouldn't change. It was like the whole thing over and over again. You look at Todd's. They would do sneakers. It was like the Gomini over and over again. So they were much more about tradition, about yeah. we are the way that we've always been. So and now it's, you're it's actually what we call seeing, the heritage. Exactly, it's the heritage. The heritage. Yeah. And now, and I think you see that on brands as well. Before brands were perfect, and then new brands came out like Virgin, uh, which were like, hey, you know what? We are human as well. We make mistakes. We make things. And people are like, hey, we can actually relate to that. So I think there's a, and I was listening to this Diego de Laval, the founder of Todd's and CEO of Todd's interview. Uh, and he said that now I have, I don't remember the percentage, but it was something like 30% at least has to be like cutting edge and innovation and the rest can be heritage. So yeah. what's your take a little bit on that? So for me, this is the this is the reality, and I think the ones leading this are definitely Gucci. I think Alessandro Michele has done an amazing job, and this is a result of brands knowing that they need to connect with the new generation, and the new generation, well, the Gen Zers, they they really value authenticity, they value imperfection, uh, they value transparency, and this is obviously linked to the fact that they're more linked to like social causes where it is being sustainability, mental health, gender equality, etc. But you need to be, so this authenticity, this transparency, generate trust in these guys that are entering the job market and they're going to be your future. So around 60% of the luxury sales business in the next five years is going to be millennials and it's going to be Gen Z. And, and this is what is forcing luxury brands 60%. to already now. Yes. Yes, millennials and Gen Zers, huh? like. But but where do they have the money? Because I would assume that like uh, a lot of well, like in, in, for you to get into like luxury, usually like I would assume, and well, there's the crypto dudes and everything, but uh, yeah, but so. but uh, be, but be, like people. Well, millennials, we're 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 there. The different we're there. We're, we're 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 the biggest working force at the moment. In five years, you will have the, you are. the oldest. Please don't include me in the millennials. Come on, you still are millennials. You still <laughs> nope. are millennials. Fortunately, not. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm. I'm on the upper, on the upper like tier. Well. Yeah, I made the cut. Uh, but I am. I am a millennial. Years. I am a millennial. <laughs> but in five years, you will have already like a relevant segment of Gen Zers that are working. Like the first ones are already in the in the job market. In China. 15% of the current luxury consumers are Gen Zers. And China is going to be 50% of the luxury market in the next five years. So, the, and I'm talking about Gen Zers only. Yeah? So you see, if you add the millennials on top of the Gen Zers, that, that 60% is, 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 totally, is totally doable. And then, I mean, luxury, we, we can talk about, yeah, like a uh, hundred thousand, uh, 
300,000 euros uh, phantom Rolls Royce, but we're also talking about 120 euros lipstick. This is luxury within their segment because not sure. everyone is not everyone is being able is able to buy 120 euro lipstick. But these are when you talk about luxury, you talk about like the product pyramid. You have the base of the pyramid, which contains a lot of which is present in different categories, and 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 you have products that are allowing you to enter the the luxury industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are luxury position in terms of their own like category. So you you have and you consider these people that are buying the 120 euro lipstick or the 300 euro fragrance luxury consumers. Mm. I think our generation is striving for uniqueness and with luxury it's possible to set a statement in our generation and our generation yeah. is influenced by celebrities like Kim Kardashian, Kanye West or all the palm who's singing about in his song, in his world-famous song, Gucci Gang, we hear every day about luxury and we can afford that. For example, sneakers, we can buy them for 200 euros and we want to set a statement with luxury goods and that's how we can be unique and yeah, that's why uh, I think luxury unique- is such a big, big thing in our generation. I think that the uniqueness part, it's super important because uh, I'm, I'm reading quite a lot around Generation Z That's why it's great to contrast with you, Tim. There's a lot about self-expression and showing who you are as an individual. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think luxury can, can help you do that. There's a lot of also like co-creation uh, between brands, uh, limited editions, collectors. These are types of products that luxury offers. And, and I think it would be great to get your, your insights. Do you believe that these brands can allow you to fulfill that self-expression? Yeah, I think so. I know I know a lot of female. I have a lot of female friends who are walking around with their bags of Gucci or Louis Vuitton, and that's that's their wishes for Christmas. And but is that uniqueness, or that's is? But is that uniqueness, or is that a willingness to fit in? Because I think there's 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 a big change as well that that we've seen, especially I don't know, like in a certain type of segments, like you don't Mm -hmm. see brands. Like yeah. seeing the brand in itself stop being like, for yeah, me, yeah. It, it would have to be something very specific, like to show off a brand. It's it's something that uh, I, think, I don't really appreciate it. Then you have different segments. I think then you have Supreme uh, or you have Ralph Lauren yeah. that at a certain point, he'd like those major horses. Like what's the, um, what's the deal here? Like how many, how much do people actually, because by showing a brand, Are you really um, being unique or you're trying to fit in and saying, I, I, I actually represent what the brand is or actually the brand I'm associating myself with uh, what uh, with this brand because I believe in its values? I, I think it's definitely the second thing. And I think if you if you look at the products that brands are developing, it's much more or less logo driven and more you know this is Gucci without having a, like the cheese in it. So I was actually looking, I was spammed uh, with the Gucci Instagram ad yesterday and that took me to discover their 100th anniversary limited edition collection they've launched. And it was amazing. You see that's Gucci and you see that's Gucci because you, they use the red and the green stripes. And through the time they've been able to build that as an icon and you recognize that is Gucci without having Gucci written on it. 
But then they had all these really cool emblemas. I can't remember what it was now. It was, it was like some really cool slogan that really fits into the coolness of Gucci at the moment. And, but there was no Gucci logo anywhere. So I think nowadays brands have shifted already to a more like logo-less uh, creativity, uh, especially I think this also is, we're talking more about fashion, fashion brands. But I think it's more about me associating myself to a brand whose values are aligned with mine within the new and, generations. And tell me something. And then like we have these new generation. Tech is definitely like we talk about digital transformation, which doesn't make sense because digital is part of everything. But clearly like all these like tech apps, NFTs that we'll speak a little bit in, in, um, in a, uh, that we'll speak in a while as well about what's happening. Like uh, we're going a lot into e-commerce. Uh, some brands are already over 20, 30%, some luxury brands on e-commerce. What's happening in terms of this? What do you see like uh, the adoption of technology? Where do you see it? Uh, and where do you see it coming up? I think I see like two or three uh, big trends. I think one is data in terms because since luxury is supposed to be a personalized experience in many cases, Data yeah. allows you for a much more efficient, cost-efficient, and actually much more detailed personalization. I would say um, that's clearly one. Uh, E-commerce and storytelling, I would say, because if you're one of the things that storytelling does is actually bring all these added value to uh, who the brand is, what it represents, and so on. So rich media, all these things. Even, I don't know, if you go into a watch like Audemars Piguet or something, Maybe you're not going to buy a $20,000 watch online or now it's actually starting, but you're definitely going to research it. And there you can create and build up why a watch is worth 20 or 100 or whatever yeah. Uh, yeah. the value is. What are um, the, the key trends for you? So uh, I think when talking about trends, especially around digital, tech and digital, I, yeah. I, would, I would differentiate between Asia and the rest of the world. And I don't know if you would agree with me. Mm, uh, because uh, what I'm seeing is how Chinese consume luxury through digital, especially through social, like things that we Europeans are still like, really? You're going to buy a 25,000 euros watch online? Like, are you sure? Is this real? Like, I think the Chinese have they have it so integrated and then they also have the roles of the key opinion leaders that are able to push that on, on, on social. So I would say from Asia, I see live streaming that is also working for, uh, for luxury. I see social commerce, which is super integrated in, in luxury as well. Can you just tell um, us live streaming a little bit? I know it's a topic that interests you. Can so you live streaming, to be honest, life for me, when I, when I, think about live streaming and I started reading about it and trying to understand what this trend was. It's a bit like in Spain, we call it the teletienda. Tele I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you had that. TV in, shop, in, in, yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. So it's that, don't through so, social. Okay. So it's just basically speaking about the, the um, but it's, but it's and, working uh, well, right? That idea, that principle, but obviously it needs to be done with much more care and love for luxury brands. And 
So I, I, I know Dior has tried live streaming in Asia, uh, Dolce & Gabbana, and, and it's really about how do you portray this brand storytelling through social? And usually they, they get, they use the key opinion leaders as a key tool to drive that traffic to the, to the live session. Uh, because these people have a massive influence power in terms of like converting the sales. Like there's this, this guy, I can't remember his Chinese name, but he was able Lee to Chia sell. Ki. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Like I'm super bad with Chinese. Was able to sell more than 200 Bottega Veneta bags in 10 seconds. Bottega Veneta bags that are started as a $3,000 price. So like imagine the power that these people have. So live streaming is definitely one. And then as I was saying, social, social commerce as well. And I'm totally in line with you when you talk about, about, about data, because data allows personalization, allows anticipation, and, and that is super important with, within luxury. Then we have the rest of the world. I know live streaming uh, is, is already quite more advanced in North America than what it is in Europe. And I think Europe, we're always a bit like more behind everything. So let's see how we adopt, because we have different habits in terms of like shopping and the way as consumers are used to to shop although that digital i think one of the main things as you were saying before how do you build that storytelling that has a big impact using the digital channels will have a, and has a big impact on driving discovery driving inspiration driving consideration and probably in luxury the role of the physical store is still super important especially when when we're talking about very expensive luxury items, that's where the conversion happens. Because especially in Europe, we still want that personal relationship, that assistance that help us close the deal at the point of the physical also point. Of sale. But the rest is done online. Though. Also, yeah. you're buying an experience. It's like yes, if I'm spending exactly. this amount of money on a suit, I like to be going to the pampered. store and yeah. pampered and feel like special and, yeah. and all these things, no? Yeah. Even though so, that so, maybe you can start mixing like, um, I think the, another very important thing is like the in-store technology. Because then actually for definitely. you to have the very perfect bespoke tailor suit, you can have, I don't know, augmented reality that takes you like the perfect measures and so on. I think a little bit uh, how you mix uh, heritage with technology. And I think like a great example is before we thought the future was like the Jetsons and everything very modern. But then you go into movies like Her uh, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and it's all the technology is very integrated. So actually, if you have this technology, but I, you can give it like also the heritage look, I think it, it might work in some of the traditional brands. Like, for instance, I think uh, in suits and shoes and everything, you can have like the perfect tailored suit for you. Tell me, uh, you were telling about other trends in terms of technology. So we already had uh, the live streaming. We're talking about the role of stores that are not going to disappear, but no, they're having no. much more of an experience, which is different from other sectors where we don't, you don't have the, the experience. So if it's just a commodity. It's more transactional, yeah. It's more transactional. It's, it probably makes sense that a lot of stores are going to disappear. But the branding aspects of, uh, of stores and experiential aspect makes a lot of sense. Then we have data. What do you think about personalization in terms of customization? Like it's something that has been tried for a long time. People speak about 3D printing. People think about, hey, design your own Nikes. Maybe if you put your initials is one thing, but in terms of design your own products, the results have been very mixed and not very favorable in the past. Do you think that's a massive thing 
for luxury? I think when we talk personalization, I would not only talk about product, I would talk about journey. Uh, and that's what's gonna what I think it's gonna make the difference in in in, in luxury is like but let you Mar, let me just interrupt you on two things. One thing is personalization, which is we make the the experience for this uh, client, and the other thing customization. Uh, I'm making this differentiation oh, okay, here, okay, which okay, is okay. where the client customizes his own product. So it's like yeah. I make my own, I design my own Nike shoes. So let's go on personalization, and, and and then I would love to have your take on customization as well. So on on personalization, I would not only include product, but like the, more the experience. So so knowing who you are as an individual from the moment you have the first interaction with the brand until the moment you do your first purchase, and and we keep on talking to you, so you repurchase. So and and I think data has a big. Is, is a massive enabler of this personalization throughout the whole process. So that's where I see the power, that I see that as a big trend and that's where data can bring a lot of value in luxury because then it, it links personalization throughout the whole journey, which links to experience, enhance uniqueness, uh, you feel special and, and you feel much more engaged and close to, to that brand. Then in terms of customization, I agree, it's something that has been out there for a very long time. Uh, I've seen it as a, as, a, as a marketeer in many industries. I see it as a consumer. To be honest, I don't know. I don't think it ever exploded. Maybe because I'm seeing it with the eyes of a millennial, maybe Gen Zers as a way of self-expressing themselves, the moment they're much more into the, the purchasing power reality, maybe it kind of like bounces back on that level of uh, connecting to that uh, need of having to self-express and showing who they are as an individual. I think so, yeah, it's, it, it's a little tricky in that sense. I, I agree with you because we haven't seen it exploding and, um, and it, it has been talked for a long time. Yeah. But in the end, I think you have two things like uh, a good brand. I think it's more than convincing that I have what you want is much more about you want what I have. No, it's like, hey, I already have this. This is amazing for you. And I think it's much more in that sense, more than I have every single product you might desire. And the other thing is you pay good designers because they are better at designing than yourself. So I would assume that can be also a massive, um, a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah. So and, customization, and I have yeah. that. And tell me something. We just saw there was just uh, Paris Fashion Week. Uh, we saw someone that was all over the web, someone jumping into the catwalk and saying overconsumption. Sustainability is clearly an issue. We are seeing like a lot of uh, new marketplaces for vintage things. We are about like reuse, rewear. So we are seeing this is a very big trend. Like all the the worries about about the planet, about the environment. We've seen about the usage of leather as well in the past and, mm -hmm. uh, and fur. Um, I don't know if you've seen where, that. Caring has completely banned for for older brands. The Caring yeah. group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caring has been doing, yeah, Caring has yeah. been like. They uh, announced it like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they are one of the leading groups in the world in terms of luxury. Yeah. And uh, actually, it's funny because you go into their website and one of the key aspects they promote there is sustainability. So, how is the industry changing? regarding this and how is the consumer perception regarding this? 
I think there's changes on both both sides of the of the spectrum, and and probably the industry is reacting because the consumer is demanding, unfortunately, but it's happening. And and from an industry point of view, I see it. Uh, I see the sustainability approach being applied to to products, to processes, to new business models that are appearing. As you were saying, there's a lot of resale platforms, secondhand platforms, companies rebuying things from consumers and then reselling. So I think on the whole second market and resale uh, market, the luxury groups are trying to see how they can monetize it. So there is there is something to explore there to see how they can grab some value from there. So so I would say you see it from a packaging design point of view, from a manufacturing process point of view, uh, from a, a new marketplaces, uh, a new models point of view. And from a consumer, I think, um, I mean, it's it's clear, and especially after, after COVID, Gen Zers are willing to pay more for products that are sustainable and ethical. So millennials, not as much as the new generation, for sure. And uh, I don't know if you feel like, like that, Tim, if you feel like... Uh, Yeah, sustainability is a very big issue among or in our generation. And I know more and more people who are becoming vegetarian or vegan uh, are taking part in the Fridays for Future demos. And in the elections, you can see also that trend that uh, the growing trend that among the younger generation that the towards parties that support climate protection. So, and in the media, we hear a lot about greenwashing from companies. So, yeah, that's my question thing, is. Yeah. Is are luxury brands really interested in becoming sustainable, or do you think that they are just doing it for the customer? Because you said that they are doing it for their revenues and that they want to be part of sustainability to increase their revenues. I think, but that's that's my personal opinion. I think that the spark that in turn like make the wheel move towards that trend coming from the consumer but from what I'm seeing the movement and seeing the changes I'm seeing like for example like, like the caring one like this is a massive game changer I do think that they they, they really believe in it and also like in the company I work for now like uh, there's massive sustainability plans because they also see it I mean optimizations improvements from a, like that have a sustainability goal also result in cost savings so so i i do think more and more it's less about greenwashing and and more as a as a, as a principle and, and as a belief and also because seriously if you're doing it for greenwashing you just need a tweet to boom so it's mm. very easy to spot you don't want to be in that situation Well, but whatever the I, on that, I think whatever the spark is, even if the spark is I, is just like a matter of reputation and money. Well, if you start doing the wrong, the right thing, even if it is for the wrong it's good. reasons, it's better than doing the wrong. Yeah, thing. I agree. I agree. So, so, so on that, on that, I was actually very surprised. Not very surprised, but I was just in a, an event in in Florence um, a few weeks ago, and I was with a, with a lot of friends. And what the stores people were talking about were all vintage stores. So I think it's not only about uh, sustainability, but I think yeah, there's also yeah. this trend of uh, 
expressed through like uh, finding that unique piece that is not in collection right now and and so on i think this is and and, and that when you, when you look at the second hand market there's a lot about that there's a lot about limited editions about collectors so which is linking again to the uniqueness and 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 the aspirationality of being able to get to that special piece no that doesn't exist anymore or... yeah i think i think also also a massive thing we are seeing in that we are seeing companies like stockx and all the trends around um, sneakers sneakers and, uh, it's yeah. huge <laughs> the whole uh, yeah the the whole sneaker culture it's just yeah, uh, yeah. unreal it's moving billions and bi- yeah, i have friends yeah. that are just living on buying sneakers and reselling yes. sneakers online which is but like making like very a very a good income yeah. yeah and active uh, stockx is um, is an amazing case of um, of uh, what's happening and then we're seeing like a lot of uh, another thing that we just recorded actually a podcast recently on nfts and i know it's a topic that interests you and people mm. are still trying to figure out what's going on with nfts what's going on with blockchain blockchain NFTs actually ha- might have um, one of the, the key challenges of the industry's piracy and uh, copies and everything. Yeah. Uh, what you see like the role of, of these technologies on it? I think it, it's, it's a massive pain reliever for the industry. Like, Can so you I, speak I about the usages first and then? Well, the, the biggest... I mean, I'm not a blockchain expert whatsoever, but but the, the main usage I see for the industry is being a tool to fight counterfeiting and to ensure traceability of, of products in the luxury industry, which which has an impact on reassuring consumers that what you're buying is, is a, an original product, but it has also an impact on reassuring consumers about the, the sustainable trace uh, of this product. So I think there, there's a counterfeiting impact and there's a sustainability impact as well. So you're able to trace where this product was made, with through which manufacturers this product has gone through, are they ethical, are they not ethical? So so it empowers consumers much more from a, an, an information point of view, ensuring that what they're buying is, is ethical as well. But from a, from a manufacturer point of view, I think that the possibility to fight against counterfeiting, which is a huge huge problem in the industry in in luxury yeah? from 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 spirits fashion uh, like watches jewelry hard, hard both hard and soft luxury so i think it's 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 a game changer for the industry but we are seeing on on also like they are going into um, digital goods as well right so what a major yes. trend that we are having is uh, video games is i think now it's larger than the movie industry and uh, mm-hmm. we are seeing like uh, all these that you can buy skins for and all for these uh, accessories for your yeah. virtual yeah. characters. Uh, we are speaking, Mark Zuckerberg is speaking about the multiverse, virtual reality is becoming something. So our expression online is becoming, actually, even if you go on like CryptoPunks, uh, that people put them as their as their uh, Twitter accounts and so on, we are seeing a lot of these, uh, these digital market as an opportunity to express yourself. Where do you see the luxury brands there? It's a super interesting topic. I think luxury brands, again, it's it's a very incipient, like tiny thing. And, and they're trying to see how they can monetize it. Opportunities that I think in here is basically 
the gaming industry, as you were saying, it's bigger than than the film. And I was reading even the film and the music industry together. I was like, it's something huge. For me, one of the main things this has compared to other compared to social media, for example, is like you have an audience that is stuck watching someone play video games or playing video games for hours. So we have a captive audience for hours to who you can talk to. So there, I see opportunities of creating, uh, building storytelling. So driving awareness, it's it's an audience that is is very open to engage with with digital elements. So I, I see also like consideration objectives and also conversion because not only like the, the digital assets you are creating and, and selling on, on video games, but then uh, I was reading a VCG report about the impact that these digital purchases have on offline purchases. So I think it's something that can work across the different uh, phases of, of the of the the journey yeah. in but front I, of actually, in front of someone who's there for hours. I think we can go back a little bit to your initial definition of uh, luxury, and but I think like if we're talking about actually more actually at the concept of a brand and what the brand sells, and that's the difference between like a white T-shirt and a white Prada T-shirt when you go and consuming the same quality, but one might cost you five euros, the other one might cost you 150 euros. Mm -hmm. And the difference is the concept of the brand. Like by wearing that brand, you feel empowered. You feel like you almost like embody the values of that brand. Let's put it. It's, it's the power of the storytelling that the brand has been creating for. Exactly. So the exactly the power of that storytelling. So basically, if you're talking that the difference in price from five to 150, it's 145 euros. It's the what you're paying for is the storytelling, not the product. So the product is very secondary on this. So it actually makes sense when you go into the digital world. You can have the power of the storytelling and you actually don't need the product because you're living like it doesn't really uh, on a, on a, you're on a virtual space. So the physical, there's no need for the physical product, but there's the need for the branding. So actually for me, it makes a lot of sense that you can have these brands online. And, and also that's where the consumer is. Huh? Like, uh, I mean, you need to be where your, your target audience is and, and this is a huge market. So it's like, Would you miss out on uh, being uh, with a store in uh, Place Vendôme, which is where your consumer, your Chinese traveler is? Probably yeah, that's what everyone's. Yeah. yeah, but now, uh, Mar, and you've mentioned this before, and I think it's very important. These are industries or companies that that they are very hard to change. They've been based on heritage. We've been doing this all our lives like this. That's what the consumer values and so on. I think, Do you if, see, if, if I mean, yeah. go, I go. think the, the, the thing of hard to change is I don't think it's that much linked to the fact that they're old companies because they're, they're also new luxury brands that are appearing. I think it's more about the control freakness Uh, of putting your potentially damaging your brand by making yeah. it too available. But there you go. The control freakness uh, that you're speaking about, uh, it makes it hard to change. And by making things hard to change, what we see in most sectors is that you have a lot of startups. You were just speaking about 
like several new luxury companies coming into the market and so on. And there's a big risk that the traditional companies won't adapt fast enough. Uh, and they will basically die and disappear. Do you think it's so? You think it's also something that is happening? I mean, not the big ones. The big ones have the resources change, and we're seeing that they're already doing it. But are they but, doing it fast enough? Because in a lot, if you look like that happened in a lot of industries, Blockbuster was a massive company, Toys R Us was a massive company, but they didn't change fast enough. Yeah, are these like um, big groups, LVMH, Caring, and so on, are they doing the changes they need to do? They are. I think they're prioritizing certain brands within their portfolios to do that, for sure. But with some other brands, I'm not sure they're doing it as fast as they should be. But again, I think it's it's because also I think it's very linked to the management that you have in those particular brands. Like, Why are you, so, yeah. Why are you like, excited about in terms of new brands? Sorry. You see, uh, like a lot of uh, like digital native brands in luxury. Whether this is on, I was actually um, looking at Kinker brand called uh, Typology. They're Paris based, and they're very much focused on the, the the principles of skincare. I mean, I'm not a like a pharmacist, so I don't know the names of the principles, but really tailor made skincare products based on super raw qualitative materials. So, so you you do see things then you, you like in any sector, especially like I see that, that the appearance on like purely digitally native brands that that they just sell online. I guess because like this has opened the door to a massive amount of. So you can be a luxury brand nowadays without having physical presence. Okay. Yes. And- yeah, I think uh, I read a lot of, of articles about these topics, and I think. There are brands that are re- that are on the right path and that are doing much. For example, I read a lot about Balenciaga, who are into video games and NFTs and Louis Vuitton. And then there are, there are other brands who aren't doing anything. I think there are brands that are adapting to the new changes and needs for the customers. And then there are other brands who don't uh, do that. Yeah. Yeah, but so. but there's something there's something that is are they putting this are these like unique experiences or they are bringing this into their DNA? And um, I think they. I think. And sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, um, I didn't want to interrupt you. But I think they are bringing new experiences, especially for gamers or in, in the NFT market. You can buy uh, unique skins and things, and it's a really big market. When I heard about that you can buy a Louis Vuitton skin in the game League of Legends. It's one of the biggest PC games in the world. I actually thought, okay, I should play this game again because I could never afford Louis Vuitton product before, but now I'm able to. And now I have the possibility to play in a Louis Vuitton costume or in a skin in the video game. And I think it's really cool. And uh, you can engage a lot of people with your uh, brand. So... But, but it's true that these are the, the the big ones that have the teams in place and they speak to the trans agencies and they have the resources and the and the minds and probably the mindsets uh, to do that. But then, I mean, there's a lot of small luxury brands that are very much linked to, to the, the heritage, the craftsmanship, and they're very local. I mean then we're talking about two different spectrums. They're still luxury, but it's two different levels of, of, of brands in terms of 
how they are adapting and, and, and evolving. There's a lot of luxury craftsmanship that has not doesn't know what TikTok is because there's this this uh, family business in the middle of Andalusia that owns leather and they do uh, handmade uh, leather goods uh, which are super qualitative. They just don't have the mindset. They're not exposed to these things, so their risk die with time because their consumers are are, are, are expiring. And they, they risk not capturing these opportunities because they're just not aware. And and tell me something, because I, uh, that's something I know you've been looking into it as well, uh, social media and specifically TikTok. TikTok, in terms of data, they are some of the best in the world. When you go into uh, Shein as well, the, um, the Chinese company, the they are yeah. Yeah, they are actually very bonded with uh with TikTok and they are basically completely changing the fashion industry with real-time fashion and so on. What do you think it's happening regarding this in terms of luxury and the role of social media influencers and so on? Like you're seeing uh, now also a massive market here. So I think the things regarding influencer marketing are changing and because people know that influencers are paid. So that level of impact and, and trust is, is being reduced. And we see influencer strategies changing a bit in the sense that brands are looking more into micro-influencers because of the increased level of trust that they generate. And I'm linking back to these Gen Zers uh, looking for trust, transparency, value alignment. And also, especially in China, the rise of what they call the key opinion consumer. So really identifying within your community of already existing consumers who are the ones that have the power to influence. And these are new things we are seeing in terms of how you plan your influencer marketing campaigns. Uh, and there's a, another concept that I was reading lately uh, on, especially on luxury. They call it, I don't know if it's like this, you know, like marketing people would like to create namings genuine influencers again very much linked to the key opinion consumer but like these people that look real sound real and that you would trust on their advice so this is this is something that that is changing what's their name again what's the name? genuine they, like genuine influencers like genuine okay. influencers i'm not saying that the macro influencers will disappear i think their role within the strategic their role within an influencer marketing strategy is, is different one One will give you the awareness and the reach. The other one will give you the engagement. And then in terms of, of social, I think in the last year, year and a half, there's been some changes regarding social and luxury. I don't know if you heard that Bottega Veneta went completely out of uh, social media. They decided to close yeah. all their global social media accounts because they said that that was against their principles. That that, again, linking to the fact that Are you making your brand too available, too out there? It's like, do we want to pursue them or do we want them to, to come to us? No? So I think there is a very interesting debate around that. Are other luxury brands going to follow? So it's always finding this balance between not going to mass uh, with luxury. I do still think you cannot neglect the power of social in terms of reach and creating conversation especially again with the, the new generations where you want to you want to you want to speak to them like you want to create this conversation it's not about me as a brand i'm telling you who i am and i don't even like want to talk to you or listen to you or this this is long long gone are the days that the luxury brands behave like this 
So it's, the brands are much closer. In order to be closer, I think social is a key path, a key way to be close to these to these people. Then it's again how not that one thing is the channel, and then the other thing is how you do it, uh, and that needs to be really taken taken care of. TikTok, I think TikTok is very different from the rest. I think Instagram, we look at Instagram when you're on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm too old for that. But I look at it and... You have and to try it. It's really interesting. So. I have the app, but I just watch. I don't do it. I, I, I thought the same. I thought the same. No, no, no. It's, actually, it's not about chore choreography. Choreography. Yeah, it, it's about... I, I used to think the same and then I tried it for research because I was really interested why people are wasting so much time on TikTok. I know people who are spending three hours a day on TikTok and mm -hmm. then I used this app and I don't spend that much time, but actually it's quite interesting. And I think you can really engage people with your brand. And that's why I don't understand Look, that TikTok. Tiga Veneta... Go, go. Uh, why, why Bottega Veneta stopped to be on social media because I think it's so important in our generation and we are influenced by everything by on social media and by celebrities. It's, it's a it's concept of exclusivity. I think you have two things there. Bottega yeah. Veneta leaving, it's like, you know what? I'm not available. I'm for yeah. the few. Yeah, it's a non-availability statement. I'm not for the all. I don't need people knowing about me. Those who know, know. Those who don't know, yeah. don't know. It's, you know like, those, yeah. it, it's like sometimes some people say, if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it. It's a little bit like, if you really need for me to explain you, I'm not for you. So it, it's it's a very, a little bit like, you can call it a little bit of a snobbish approach, but a snobbish uh, actually works in a, in a lot of sectors. Now to the other point of TikTok, TikTok is amazing. Uh, not putting it in a, in a negative way, but it's like, okay, And it's done to be like, okay, like it's 15 seconds videos that keep going and they keep see and they keep adjusting in real time the algorithm. So actually I've, I, I have a TikTok account. I, I don't use it that much because I'm afraid of it. Because already with Instagram addiction, stories, I stayed there. Because they know what triggers your brain and they do yeah. it. And that's the amazing thing about Shaim as well um, because by using all these data, they basically know your brain better than you. So it's like, I'm just going to give you that extra adrenaline, serotonin rush. It's like, I'm just putting your brain to produce these chemicals so that you keep getting addicted. So I think they But are there, really luxury what they've that, achieved. Yeah. That they do really get it right. I don't know if you've seen the Gucci challenge. Have you heard about the Gucci challenge? No, no. So basically they were telling people just uh, recreate how a Gucci model in a visual would look like. And you've had, I think it was more than 2.6 billion views. So imagine the impact on generated media that this has. And then the, they would they were selecting the best ones to be able to, I think it was, there was a, a prize, but the prize was something very aspirational. It's not that you can eat. And we're going to give you a handbag. That's what, what I mean by how you do it. I think the price was something that you're going to be appearing in the next Gucci campaign. So something very aspirational. It's not where you do it, but how you do it. And, and, and again, they did it right. And you had these people from all over the world, like 
just check it afterwards. How to be a Gucci model. So you put a scarf, you put a sunglasses, you mix it with these impactful colors, blah, blah, blah. And then they were taking the, the, the shot as if they were in the campaign. And from Asia, US, Latin, like seriously, more than 2.6 or 2.8 billion views on, on TikTok generated. Content. Yeah. And I and I think Maybe. um and I think um and I think on that it's something very interesting. People complain about like oh the so- social media and blah 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 and all these things they're all terrible. But it's like as a brand, you want engagement, and this is what these platforms give. Then you can say, okay, I don't want to create uh, people thinking about suicide. I don't want to create people about having like uh, a poorly self image and so on. But it's like in the end, it's like as a brand you want engagement and this is what these platforms are. Uh, we're getting to the end of our time and we want to be respectful of your agenda, Mark. So tell us a little bit, what are you working on right now and what are you excited about for the future? I know you have uh, some education programs coming coming soon uh, on luxury exactly uh, and other things. So what are you excited about and what are you working on? I think, yeah, you, you know me quite well, David, and you know how much I love teaching because I, I really feel like I'm, I'm making an impact on people. So I'm, I'm very excited to be the academic director for a, a new course, online course on luxury marketing management at, at ESADE. And uh, so currently working on, on finalizing the content of, of all the course, speaking to different people from different from TikTok, from Loewe, uh, very like the biggest uh, luxury fashion brand. Now we have uh, different industries, different uh, functions uh, to to come and, and speak at the program. Uh, it's my first program, so I'm very excited and very grateful, thankful for that. And work-wise, um, really exciting projects with the brands I'm managing, entering new categories, the big launches that we've just done in Greece. And starting to to uh, to kick off the work travels again. So I'm I'm going to be in Greece in two weeks, followed by Romania and hopefully Poland for a special event before Christmas. So that's a bit yes. happening. It's it's a busy time of the year. Yeah, busy for us a lot, year. a lot. Yeah, for everyone. Perfect, Mar. Thank you so much. Highly thank you. Amazing conversation, team. Thank you so much. And thanks uh, for everything, team. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Next week, we will be back with another episode of Lead Sex. We will be talking about the disruption in the retail sector. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may reach out to us for commenting, giving suggestions, or just say hi by email, x at leadsadventures.com, Twitter and Instagram, at leadsadventures, and LinkedIn, leadsadventures. Leads is L-I-T-S and stands for Life is Too Short. Leadsex podcast is a result of the teamwork between Beatrice Schoza, Janos Geyer, Lydian Marie Friedrich, Sigurd Colts, and David Bernardo Santo. Please remember that more than providing answers, LeadSex podcast aims to raise awareness and questions about topics that are becoming relevant and discussed in society. The podcast reflects the personal views of each of its participants and not any institutions. It's not in any way meant to give investment, health, medical, or any other type of advice. Many of the topics addressed are still not fully tested 
confirmed or approved. So please question everything you hear and exercise extreme caution.